I went through some of the questions, uh, Tom, and most of them can be grouped together. Um, the subjects are intent, the large, exploring the larger consciousness system, nudges from the larger consciousness system, and just recently, uh, one from Josh that I think we'll start with. Josh, if you want to read your question. Yeah, let me, uh, let me bring it up. I can do that for you if you like. Um, okay. My oldest child is three and a half years old, and she is just now starting to ask about death mainly with bugs and other insects. However, she has also asked about some of my wife's deceased relatives. How did you answer questions about death when your children started asking them? Hmm. I'm trying to remember now. I, I, uh, well, I would suspect that my children did ask questions about death. All children do. But I, I believe I just answered them in such a you know, a natural kind of straightforward matter that it, I don't really remember it. It didn't uh, stand out in my mind as a problem or an issue or, or anything particular happened. I would talk about death just the way I, you know, uh, understand it, which is it's a transition. And I'm trying to think of words that would kind of depend on the very, on the uh, specific situation because you wouldn't want to necessarily with a child that young go into some kind of, uh, you know, abstract discussion of the philosophy of death. You know, that wouldn't go over very well. They wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't be able to uh, process that. But starting with the with the uh, with the given situation, say relatives, uh, something like that, then you could just say yes. Uh, you know, we transition from this life, and and uh, we go to a another another place. Another world, if you will, that would be simple language for a for a child, and uh, and there is you know there is no permanent ending. Now with a bug, the bug dies, and and basically there maybe it would be that death is just a part of life, and it's a part of life for all things. It's a transition period for all things with consciousness. And they probably don't understand the word consciousness and a lot of other things, but just by the tone of your voice and that it's not a subject that you're afraid to deal with and that it's you talk in the same tone of voice that they'd ask you about the, you know, the wheels on your car. You just would have given them an explanation and they will understand part of it and pieces of it and they'll go, uh-huh, and go on, I think, with something else. They'll be satisfied with that. If not, then you can answer it in a little more detail. I think the thing that disturbs children more than others is if, is if they, they, they uh, feel that their parent is very uncomfortable with the subject, that there's something wrong about death, there's something uh, not good about that, or something scary or something, because their parent doesn't seem to be able to give a, an easy answer like they could about anything else. So I think the, the biggest thing to not give children a fear or a sense of foreboding or a problem or something scary is not what you tell them, but how you tell them, that it's just another matter of fact, explain it, and uh, children generally don't need much details in their explanation. They're looking as much for how you, 
the, the energy with which you tell them as they are actually for the facts that you tell them. So that would be the thing. Get your own mind straight and at ease with how you feel about death, death and then just tell them in a way that you think uh, is no more than they need or want, something that, uh, that uh, is, is truth to you, but at the same time, you're something you're very comfortable with. But I think that's the main thing. It's it's how you how you express yourself to your child more than what you tell them. Okay, Tom. In this specific case, in jo- in the case of Josh's little girl, you, we've talked about this. Be- you've talked about this before that children are more tapped in than we are. Could it be? that she's asking about these deceased relatives? Could it be that she's perceiving something? It very well may be, and that would be, again, it's a specific situation. You can ask some questions. Oh, why did you ask? And see what they say. And depending on the child's needs, you, um, you know, give them what they need. But that's possible. Up until five, six, seven years old, in those in those years, somewhere between five and seven, which means after they start public school, they uh, tend to lose their their connection with the larger consciousness system. Up until that time, they kind of have you know one foot in the larger consciousness system and one foot here in this virtual reality. They're in both worlds. They are very intuitive. They get messages. They get uh, your your the content of what you're trying to tell them, they get it as much through telepathy as they do from processing language. So they are kind of connected pretty well from birth up to five to seven. After that, they lose it. So I'd say question them a little, ask some questions. But again, it needs to be lighthearted, not uh, something that uh, makes them feel uncomfortable. And take it just as far as they're willing to take it. When they're done, they'll kind of let you know because their attention will wander elsewhere and they won't really be paying attention to you anymore and then it's enough. With little children, the key is not to give them more than they want or can can process. You know, you don't want to overdo it. You want to keep it at a very high level. And then if they have questions, you know, you can ask them, well, you know, is that what you needed to know? Is that what you wanted to know? Is there anything else? And if they say, no, that's it, then you're done. If not, then Probe a little, see if you can't understand where the question's coming from. And do they have concerns? Is it just curiosity? Um, That sort of thing. Okay, Josh, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that or ask? Well, uh, something that just uh, popped into my mind while we were talking is it, it seems like, you know, depending on how we respond to the question, you know, they, they can pick up on that as much as the actual content of the answer. Um, you know, yes. our, I guess our emotion. Um, and one of the things that just popped into my mind is that you know, we don't want to transfer any fear onto them uh, about it. But in a general sense, how how would we deal with uh, with fear in little children um, in in the most efficient way? Well, I guess the best way to deal with with fear in children is first make sure you don't you know pass fear along to them. That's not helpful. Um, the, if they have fear, and sometimes they'll come in with fear. There'll be fear that they're just born with. They're carrying over from, from the last experience or the experience before that or the one before that. So if they have fear, 
then the best way to deal with that with a, a small child is just to give them the comfort that that uh, it, you know things will be all right. You're there. That um, you know you won't let anything happen to them, and they will uh, you know they'll be fine. Sort of like daddy will take care of it. You know uh, that um, that just gives them. It doesn't actually deal with the fear in the sense because that's a little hard to do unless they are very uh, um, kind of advanced in their in their language skills. If they can really explain things to you, well then you can deal with it at a at a more um, uh, specific level, but most small children can't explain things to you very well, and you ask for reasons. It's no telling what you get, but it may or may not actually have anything to do with the reasons. They sometimes just feel obligated to tell you something when you ask them a direct question like that, so they just make up something that maybe they hope will work, you know, that you'll take as an answer. So um, mostly you're not going to get a lot of detail about it, so the best you can do until they get old enough to express the fear more succinctly, is to give them the comfort that it'll be all right and that uh, you know you will you're you're there for them and uh, not to worry about it. Great, thanks. Okay, well, thanks. If that's answered your question, Josh, we'll move on to the next question. Oliver and Pally uh, all had elements from three questions that were to do with intent. Um, one, how can we formulate a clear intention? What are the tools and the exercises for that? Pally asks, is, there, is every expression of intent or focus pure intent in any reality frame modifying the probability of occurrences? And can another's intent affect our ability to react with love? So we'll start with the first, which came from Oliver. How can we formulate a clear intention, and what are the tools and exercises you can use? Okay. Well, intent is an expression of yourself, who you are. So you can express intent at both the being level and the intellectual level. Uh, we're pretty familiar with expressing intent at the intellectual level. That's, a, that's, a, that's easy. That's kind of, um, so, you know, the the subject of your focus, the, the what you want, you know, to happen, your, your intent for, you know, a result. So that's an intellectual intent, but that's not really where, for most of us, the, uh, the power that we're looking for is. Mostly it's the being level intent, the being level being a representation of what you are at the core, who you are at the core. And at this level, it's just an expression of self. It's really hard to manipulate. You can manipulate the intellectual component of your intent, um, but the being level part of your intent, which is probably the largest part of your intent, is just an expression of you. So the way you get that intent to be stronger and more focused is for you to be stronger and more focused. In other words, for you to get rid of the, the noise um, in, your, you know, in your consciousness. And we usually start with meditation uh, to do that. But you get a low noise. Um, if you're a low noise consciousness, then your intent will be a low noise intent, which means it will be sharp and strong. Now, as far as, as um, you know, sharp and strong is, is only part of it. The other part of it is it has to be clear, very clear. And we don't tend to speak 
real clearly. Unless we are, uh, you know, unless we all have our degrees in, in logic from the philosophy department, we don't tend to speak real clearly. We assume that other people from the context will know what we mean. That isn't true in the larger consciousness system. Pretty much what you say is what you get. So if your intent is kind of general, the way you're used to speaking, and it hasn't really specified exactly what you intend, then you, know, you may, um, it, it's like this, if, if you are, you're doing a query, and if your query is very general, you get a lot of stuff back. You don't necessarily get what you want, or the system itself guesses at what you want, and that's what you get back. So when healing, particularly, a very precise intent is important, because otherwise your, your healing um, you know, isn't, isn't really focused on the problem if you have very general intents. Now, a general intent isn't useless. A general intent will work generally. And if what you're trying to do is improve, say, someone's health in a general way, then a general intent is very appropriate. But if what you're trying to do is get rid of the leftover cancer cells after, a, uh, after an operation, then just kind of feel better intent, you know, generally feel better is not really very, going to be very effective. You need to have a very specific intent of exactly, you know, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish and, and uh, uh, whatever metaphors or tools you're using to accomplish, it all has to be very clear. Now, sometimes we have beliefs that we're not really quite sure that we're doing it right. We're not really quite sure that this is even going to work or that, you know, you have the right process, that, uh, that the theory is, is true. And if you have these, these ideas in the back of your mind that, well, I'm going to say this, but I don't really you know, think it's going to work, well, that takes most of the oomph out of your intent because now you have more than one intent. You have one, in, one that says, I want to accomplish this. You have another intent that says, I expect this not to work. It's all, you know, that's part of an intent. I intend this not to work is, is very close. If you expect it not to work, there's, a, there's some energy you're putting in for it not to work because that's part of what you're, you're sending. So intent isn't just intellectual. In your intellect, your intent is, all, is, is very focused on I want this to work. But at the being level, if you're confused and have misgivings and not sure what you're doing, that part at the being level intent is to the opposite. So you're pushing with one hand and pulling with the other. And that's very, uh, uh, you know, that's less, less likely to uh, be effective. So intent at the being level is important. And intent at the being level is as good as you are, as low entropy as you are at the being level. So that's, you know, it's probably not a good an answer that you'd really like to hear because it's, it's uh, difficult to do anything specifically about that other than get rid of your fear, get rid of your ego, and know why you're doing, why you make the choice you're making. And if that choice is to heal and to heal in a particular way, know why you're making that choice. Make that a, a choice that you can, you know, put all of you behind it. It's something that you intend from the core up to the intellect, and then you will be more effective. So an intent gets directed, you can say, in many ways, by the intellect. 
but a lot of the power has to come from the being level. Now, if you don't have fear, if that's not your your situation, if you're pretty much uh, a being with with uh, little to no ego and little to no fear and little to no belief, then it's a different situation because then your intellectual level and being level are all integrated into one thing. You don't have the intellectual level at one, you know, doing one thing and the being level doing another. It's all one thing. And now the intellect isn't just um, what we normally think of as intellect, but the intellect now speaks for the whole body, for the whole, I shouldn't say body, but for the whole being. The uh, intellect is, is, a, uh, is a much more powerful thing at that point. So that's why it's a little complicated to, to explain to you. It depends on where you are, how uh, low entropy your consciousness is, um, as to how to go about it and, uh, and how to focus. So the best thing, of course, is always the best thing for anything that you're trying to do is to get rid of your fear, your belief, get rid of your ego, and then everything will work better if you do that, if you do that first. Um, then there's not a there's not this split between the two levels, and you know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you're perfectly clear on it. You have no you have very low noise, uh, your focus is tight, and that then your intent is strong, and it will modify probability more effectively than any other way. Do you have some simple tools and exercises for? Uh, Oliver was presented with this question on his website. Uh, do you have some specific tools and exercises or easy tools and exercises that can well, someone can develop? You've probably heard me talk a lot about the tools for getting rid of fear and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I've said those in a lot of a lot of talks because that's what everything everybody wants to know. And that is that in your general life, you you have many decisions that you make every day, actually probably many decisions you make every every hour. And if any of those, if any time you have a, a, a sense, a feeling that things aren't right, anxiety, upset, annoyed, any of the things that we'd say that are negative, then try to go inside yourself and see why do you feel that way? and not some sort of intellectual excuse. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the the reason, the intent behind that feeling. Why do you feel that way? And almost always, if you have a negative feeling or sensation, you will find that you can, you can follow it back to a fear, and then you work on that fear. Understand the fear. Why is it that this, you know, this feeling, you have this feeling, well, it's because of this fear. And the fear is generally more, a more general fear than, than the specific situation that's creating you the discomfort. So then you work on that fear and you just keep this process up until your life is mostly full of positiveness, full of joy, and, uh, and you're a happy person. And that way you will have most of your fears. And as your fears are gone, your ego disappears with them because your ego is an expression of that fear. So that's the fundamental way to go about uh, you know, increasing the quality of your, of your consciousness. But given that, something that we all know, 
I'd say practice. If you want to practice focusing your intent, then then do things like healing, do remote viewing, do things that are evidential, and do them often. Because the more you use your intent to purposefully modify future probability, the better you will get at it. Some of it has to do with developing your own tools that, that work well for you, or maybe uh, learning to do without tools. But whatever it is, you need to find out what works for you through trial and error, which means just work on it. You know, work on your healing. There's always people that can use your help. Work on, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be just healing and, and remote viewing. It could just be people that you know, people in your family, um, people where you work and problems they might be having. Um, you can converse with them. You can uh, counsel with them. You can understand them better. It's not all sending. Some of it's receiving, understanding people and trying to understand what their intents and issues and where they're coming from and why they feel the way they feel. So just broaden yourself out by experiencing and, and uh, okay, what's the best thing to say? By practicing through experience, you practice interacting with low entropy. You practice using your intent to be helpful. And the more you do that, the better at it you'll get. You will probably start to develop tools that suit you. Eventually, you'll outgrow those tools. You'll need to change them. Uh, but all of that takes practice. The very first time you try these things, you have you know, you have very little experience, and therefore you probably aren't real good at it yet. Like anything else, you know, the more you practice, the better you get. About um, intent, I was wondering if you can intend for someone to have a stronger intent, something like a multiplier for their specific intent. Well, yes, you can. Uh, you can intend get better at healing and that you want to focus more more of your energy on that and the system will modify itself a little bit to help nudge you in the direction you want to go in other words you're the leader of your own evolution so you want to focus on a particular thing and intend to work on that thing and you will get more opportunities and the, the larger conscious system will be more uh, um, helpful, I guess, to you by providing you the right, right things, maybe helping you with tools, but your intention to improve your work with your intent will help. Now, it's not that it's just going to multiply you know, your result. What it does is raises the probability that you will, that you will learn to be more effective. So I say the intent is your whole being level. Your intellectual, your intellectual, an expression of you. What you want to do is, is grow in this way, and that is a strong intent. You get that at, at all levels. So it, it, it all adds together. Could, uh, could you intend for someone else, to, for their intent to get stronger? Say, like a beginner who's just trying out, but, you know, maybe... You give them a boost with their healing, and they see evidential results for themselves, something like that. That probably, that probably wouldn't very much if you intended somebody else's intent to get better. 
intend that somebody else um, take more interest in the larger reality or um, that another person uh, see and become interested in a bigger picture, that might help. You may actually uh, help them um, kind of reach a little further than they would ordinarily. But actually being as specific as that their intent is more focused, probably not, because your intent gets more focused as you grow up. And the idea that, well, okay, they haven't grown up any, but we'll get their intent focused, you're kind of pushing things, you get pushing a horse out in front of the cart. So it's just not going to work very well. It may move it a percent or two, but it's not going to be significant because unless they can support it with the quality of their consciousness, it's not going to, to work very well. Okay, was there anyone else with a comment? Uh, yeah, I had a question. Uh-huh. I, um, I was wondering if there's, if there's any way to measure your quality of consciousness for yourself. Um, yes, um, the best way to measure it is to, um, is this the, the same process that I talked about as far as getting rid of fear? What's, what's your life like? What's the quality of your life? If your quality of your consciousness is good, the quality of your life is probably pretty good too. In other words, look at your emotions, look at your feelings, and, and notice what percent of it is very positive and what percent of it, you know, is, is negative. And by negative, I don't mean thinking evil thoughts and wanting to, you know, crush somebody to get even, not that, but just that you are anxious about things, that uh, you get upset, that uh, you really wanted this to happen, but it didn't, and now you, you know, you're, you're kind of, you don't feel good about it because it didn't work out the way you wanted it. Um, you know, those sorts of things. If your life is, is pretty much very calm and peaceful and positive and good, then your quality is probably good, too. If uh, your life is full of uh, anxiety and angst and, and uh, things that, you know, I would just label negative, then your quality is probably not so good. So that's the best way, is how, how are things? How do you relate? How do you relate to people? Do you struggle? You struggle with your children, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your boss. Is it constantly struggling with other people, trying to uh, you know get them to see things the way you see it? Because obviously, the way you see it is the right way and the way you know it needs to be. And you just have to help them see that, you know. And because they don't see that, you have, you're frustrated and you're angry when they do things that are in the wrong direction. And, that shows a, a low, a lower quality of consciousness. So that's the best way to tell you. Just look at your own, look at your own feelings, thoughts. Um, yeah, do you have time for a follow-up question? I have all the time in the world. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so I was wondering, uh, how does willpower factor into that? If, um, if you have trouble finding the willpower to do stuff. Is that indicative of a low quality consciousness or high entropy? Um, not necessarily. It depends on what your understanding is. You know, a lot of your willpower has more to do with focusing on what you want to do. Where do you want to focus? You know, where do you want to put your energy? 
and your intent is more focused on, you know, how you're going to do it, making it happen. Um, so your your will is almost like the planning function on, okay, you know, which way are we going? What do we, what do I want to accomplish? Kind of a bigger picture thing, and your intent is more of a, a how you're going to get there, how you're going to make that happen, what what has to happen now. It, it's it's more of the how rather than the the what of the of the uh, will. So a, a will that isn't interested in growing up could be a will that's low quality, or it could be a you know an individual that's reasonably good quality, but they um, have very little understanding. They don't have much uh, you know, focus. Their will is just kind of spread in a general in a general way. They're not really uh, uh, planning or or moving in any particular direction. And there's not anything really wrong with that. You can grow up and uh, increase you know, the quality of your consciousness in kind of all ways, you know, all at the same time. That's probably maybe a little slower, but that works. That works fine. Or you can take your will and focus on things. Well, I want to focus on, you know, uh, understanding and interacting in a larger conscious system, or I want to focus on getting rid of my fear, or I want to focus on something else. And then you tend to make a lot more progress in that one area um, more quickly because you're focused on it. Otherwise, you may just want to make uh, slower progress or at least as much progress as you can on all things all at once. So not having a lot of need to go do something or a lot of will to do it, it may just be your your strategy for, for working. It's not necessarily a low quality of consciousness. On the other hand, if it means that you have no clue as to what you're doing, why you're doing it, um, you know, that uh, that your choices need to, you know, be morally based, you know, they need to be good choices, choices toward love, and you think, well, it doesn't matter, you know, it's okay if you lie, cheat, and steal as long as you don't get caught. You know, getting caught's the bad thing. The lying and the stealing and the cheating is not all that bad. So then... If your if your will is working on that kind of assumption, then that's a low a low quality of consciousness uh, attitude. So anyway, I don't know if I've answered your question, but uh, will and, and intent are very much intertwined with each other. So it's yeah, that, that was very helpful. Thanks. Separate them and talk about them in, individually. Okay, we'll move to the second part of the intent question from Pali. Is every expression of focus, pure intent in any reality frame modifying the probabilities of, probabilities of occurrences? Yes. Uh, in general, I'd say that is true. So if your intent is muddled and non, kind of non-specific and not very strong or very focused, it is still modifying future probability is just not modifying it with much strength and much power but yes intent whether it's something that uh, is focused by you know by will if it's something that's you know that our intent is focused something we're really trying to to accomplish or whether it's just um, vague and and diffuse it still modifies future probability one just much more strongly than the other so as the average person who has no clue that they can modify future probability uh, kind of muddles through life, they are still affecting future probability. So 
it's not like you have to uh, you know, get certified first before you can use your intent to modify a probability. Everyone does it. It's just some do it more powerfully than others. Did anyone have a comment on that or a question for that? Okay, we'll move to the second part of uh, the third part of the intent question, also from Polly. Can another's intent affect our ability to react with love? Well, in general, probably not much of an effect. But the answer to it, and if we if we make it, you know, is there any possibility of that? And the answer is yes, it can affect us. In general, it's not going to affect us very much because we tend to be energized by our own core. So our own core tends to get through, and that's the intent we have, even if others are pushing at us or trying to convince us otherwise. Um, but someone can intend, just like someone in, can intend to help you get rid of a headache, someone can intend to give you a headache. Someone can intend uh, to, to um, make you feel bad, um, make you nervous, make you upset. And you will feel this energy that's kind of pushing you in that direction, even though you don't have any intent or will behind it. So in a way, that might confuse you some, and that might keep you from, um, from focusing your own intent because now you don't feel well, or now you feel confused, or you have all of this energy bombarding you, and it's difficult for you to focus your mind. Yes, those things can happen, but generally they don't because the general population knows so little about focusing intent that there's very, very few people that go around focusing their intent in order to manipulate other people. Now, if you go to uh, coastal uh, Africa, you'll find that's not true. There, There's lots of people who understand that focused intent modifies future probability. They don't understand it in those terms, but they understand that they can make things happen with, with uh, their minds. And it is used to hurt each other, uh, you know, to get money, give me money, or I will, you know, uh, create problems for you, this kind of a thing. But in our culture, it's a very weak um, influence. But you feel it sometimes. Sometimes you'll go into a place where there's lots of energy that's just unsettling. You just can't think very well there. You you uh, can't wait to leave because it's, it's so... Um, it may not be that it's negative. It may just be that it's strong and it's totally, uh, um, you know, kind of random. And it, it makes it harder for you to focus your own thoughts with all that random energy going on. Well, that's that's you being impacted by other people's intent. So yes, it can happen. Um, generally, for us, for most of us in Western culture, it doesn't happen very strongly. It happens at a at a very low level that really doesn't push us very much because our own focus overrides most of that uh, noise in the background. Eventually, as you, as you um, increase your quality of your consciousness, you get less and less affected by things you don't want to be affected by because you are aware of them. And once you're aware of them, 
you can turn things off, you can uh, overcome things that are headed your way, or you can just get rid of them. You can refuse to answer. Uh, in this system of communication where being communicates with other beings, sends energy, if you like, uh, between beings, um, you don't have to accept the call. When somebody sends you a message, you can refuse the message, and it won't affect you. But you have to be aware enough to know how to do that so that your intent is focused enough to make that happen. If you're not, then it's kind of a free-for-all. Everybody's pretty much open to everything. Polly, you had a question? Yes, thank you very much, Donna. Thank you very much, Tom. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, I hear you. Okay, thank you. Uh, so uh, I thought that maybe a good example of uh, uh, the, such a, let's say, noisy place would be uh, maybe a shopping mall. Is, would, that, would that be a good example of uh, where people can get, let's say, less focused and uh, more confused about uh, why yes. they are doing what they're doing? Yes, absolutely, and even different kinds of stores in a, in a mall. You can walk into, uh, well, let's say, a computer shop, an Apple store, or something like that, and it's a totally different buzz going on in your mind than if you walk into, um, what do we say, uh, you know, a discount store, walk into Kmart on a Saturday afternoon and the place is crowded, and um, you know, you have a, you'll have a, a, a very different experience then, uh, you know, if you walk into a library, you know, but it's, yeah, that's a, that's a good example of, uh, of when you feel that, uh, that kind of, oh, I don't know what, I just call it a buzz, but it's, it's basically, uh, you have a little more difficulty focusing your mind and thinking clearly because of all that going on. And part of that's because you're not yet skilled at eliminating and canceling all that out. I think and I may add this question, uh, which Donna so very nicely summarized out of my very complex question. Uh, it raised, uh, was raised because uh, I was in a situation the past few days where um, my uh, girlfriend, well, let's say, uh, had the habit of uh, putting herself into a victim mode, and I was uh, very hard working on uh, not going into the interrogator or some sort of uh, dominant mode. And uh, uh, because she put herself into the victim mode in our conversation and interaction, I would say she, let's say, forced me partially into this uh, interrogator mode, and uh, I, uh, let's say, lost my control of uh, what I was doing. That's that's why I asked this question. What yes. You say to that? Yeah, that's that's true. Those uh, those interactions, you know, you have to. You have to uh, look at it when you're interacting with somebody like that. You have to do it from a place where your ego and fear are not connected. If you see that, well, she's coming from a from a victim mode, and that's not right, and uh, I'll help her see what's right. You see, that's just going to make everything worse. Maybe you found that out. I don't know. But if you realize that that is her reality. The way she's coming, whether it's a victim or whether it's any anything else, that is that person's reality. That's the way they see the world. And for you to tell them that the world isn't really that way is usually not helpful. 
unless they are right on the verge of seeing that for themselves. And then maybe that would be helpful to help kind of kick them over into that realization. But most of the time, 99% of the time, they're not right on the verge of getting that anyway. And for you to tell them that the way they feel is not right and, uh, and is, is a problem, you're trying to tell them that their reality is false. And that usually is not helpful if you're trying to carry on a conversation. It's much better to understand that is their reality and then work with that being their reality. You see, not tell somebody that their reality is wrong and they need to change it and here's why. That's you being, that's your ego and that's you being, um, well, we say aggressive, that's you being, uh, I know you don't. I understand what your problem is and you don't, so just sit down and listen and I'll explain your problem to you. You see, that typically moves everything in a in a, um, a dysfunctional way. It makes things worse. So you have to realize, well, this is the way she sees the world. Now, how can I be so that she might see the world differently? And imposing your idea on her is not a way that a victim sees the world differently. They just see that as yeah, just what they thought. You know, people are trying to push me around. I'm a victim. You see? So that's, uh, that is the idea. But, yes, things, things can affect you. Other people can affect you. But other people can affect you by triggering your ego to respond. And that's how you are affected by other people mostly. It's not because their intent is confusing or, or making you, uh, you know, have a hard time focusing your mind. That is going on in the background, but it's a low-level background mostly. Usually people will say things and it grabs your ego and your ego then is what responds to them. But it's not that they make you respond in a particular way. You always get to choose how you respond. And if you respond with ego, that's your choice. Or you could respond not with ego. And you might say, well, it's really not my choice because I've got this ego. So I always respond with it. Well, it's your choice to get rid of that ego. So, Anyway, that, maybe that'll clear up that particular situation a little bit. But you think in terms of, here's how this person is. How can I be that will be helpful to her? And the answer, if the answer is, well, I could explain to her why she's wrong, that's, that's more ego. It's how can I be, not what can I say, but it's how can I be so that it will help her see that at least sometimes, you know, she's not the victim. Okay, uh, is that good, Pally? All right, well, all right, we'll move on to another question from Oliver. I've um, left for the end questions that have that have multiple subjects that can be run together. This particular one is a very specific question. It's Oliver's question on having met a woman who was identified as an atheist but had several unusual experiences in her life. When she was pregnant with her first son about 40 years ago, she visited a friend in a foreign country for several weeks and lived with that friend in her home. Ten years later, she returns with her now nine-year-old son to visit that friend a second time. As soon as her son enters the house, he makes very clear statements about having been to this house before and being familiar with it. 
She first dismissed his comments, but he kept insisting on this and had never made any comments like this before in his life. Oliver wants to know how you would explain this phenomenon and what does it tell us uh, about when an individuated unit of consciousness actually enters a new life? I know you usually respond to these things specifically. This may be a particular case. There are several issues here that could be the answer, but specifically for this particular woman and her son, what, how would you answer that, Tom? Well, I, well then I'll start at the, if, if we're talking about maybe other, other things too, let me start at the general and work in and uh, to a specific answer. But the, the lady was pregnant with, with this baby in in the foreign place, goes back home, has the baby, brings the child back, and the child recognizes the place. And may actually, and even more likely, recognize the person. May feel uh, uh, like the person is not a total stranger to them, uh, as well as the place. But in any case, the, the reason that this can work this way is that communications Communications don't just take place through language in the normal ways. We are communicating all the time with all the consciousness that are interacting with us around us. Okay, when you have a, a child that's in utero, the mother and the father and even other people who are around and are interacting with each other, they're interacting with the child too. The child and it's not just, again, we, we only look at the physical. Oh, the child is hearing their voice, you know, through in, you know, in the uterus. So the child knows that there's a voice and it can deal with that. But it's more than that. The child also is getting content. It's a telepathic connection that we have with everyone. The mother is interacting with the child. So when the mother is interacting with person A, then the child also is part of that interaction because the child is interacting with the mother, the mother with the child, you know, the mother with person A, and the child is getting parts of that as well. So we are communicating, we're netted in this big communications net with all other consciousness. It's like being netted on the Internet. That's not, that doesn't mean on the Internet that we see all, you know, 20 billion websites that are out there on the Internet with a URL at once. We tend to tune in on the ones that we want to look at and the ones we don't. So it's the same way. With consciousness, you're, you're really plugged in to all of them, but you're not tuned in to all of them. So you can communicate, but those that are around you, if you're in a room and there's six or seven people in the room and you're all kind of talking with each other, well, you're also all communicating telepathically with each other at the same time. Now, we tend to ignore that the older we get. Up until, like I say, uh, seven years old, we're more aware of that. When you're an infant, you know, I, I said when you're a newborn, you have, uh, you know, one foot in this reality and one foot in the larger reality. Well, before you're born, you probably are more like 70% in the larger reality and 30% in this reality. So you are plugged into everything. And it's probably not that this child remembered everything very specifically, like, oh, I remember the, the red flower, flower vase, you know, sitting on the table as they got a feel for it, that it's uh, you know, a deja vu kind of thing. I remember this place. I remember the layout, you know, general things, like the layout of the place. I remember this, this person feels familiar to me, not like a stranger. It's, not, it's going to be most likely 
at a at a feeling level more than at an intellectual level. And then if you want to communicate, if this child then wants to communicate this feeling level thing that he's experiencing, he has to put it into words. He has to turn it into um, you know, a, a very specific kind of thing. And he may make it even more specific than he really, really feels it just because that's easier to communicate that way. So that's, that's kind of what's going on and why that's going on. I suspect that the, the mom wasn't just there superficially and casually. She probably was there and pretty seriously plugged in to that environment, that person, and what was going on there. So that would be one thing. Or the, the child in utero just happened to be one that was particularly plugged in into what was going on in there, including their mother's environment, and uh, remembered it. And or the larger consciousness system thought, this will be a good lesson for this lady. So let me uh, just energize these experiences in this child's consciousness that he had while he was there and bring him back up into his memory. And he'll say something to his mom, and it'll be a good learning experience for his mom. So it may be that uh, even though the mom didn't experience it real uh, strongly to imprint the child, or the child wasn't really paying attention that much, the system created that result just because it was a good opportunity to help the mom see a bigger picture. So all those possibilities uh, you know, could, have, could have happened, maybe all of them together, or it may have been just... Just one of them. Did you have something to add to that, Oliver, or to ask? Uh, no, actually, yeah, that's uh, that's fine. Yeah, I just wanted to remark that it, it definitely was important for her because, uh, as I told you in the beginning, she she identified as an atheist. But uh, when we began to talk about some kind of the deeper subjects, that's the story she began talking to me about, and it it stuck with her because um, it didn't make sense to her. And it still happened, and her son uh, was very insistent about it. So it, it changed her probably on a, on a deeper level because that happened. Well, it probably opened her mind a little bit. And, uh, you know, being an atheist or a theist isn't so much important as it is being open-minded. Uh, that means you have room to move. So, yes, it may have just been the larger conscious system taking an opportunity to uh, provide a a lesson to help uh, someone uh, grow a little bit more because they had a belief that was getting in the way of their growth. And now this challenges that belief and kind of opens things up a little bit. So could be uh, something that was nudged. 